I'd like to introduce you to Mika Buffington. Come on up. Now, I thought we would get to know her just a little bit, if I have room on this little podium. Good morning. Okay, so you are a senior pastor's wife at Calvary Chapel Inglewood, correct? How long have you been doing that? Nine years. Nine years. Nine years. A lot of trials, a lot of victories, right? (laughs) Yes. With a church plant, they come. (laughs) Yes, they do. They do. So uh, tell us about your family. You have... We have four children. Four children. The oldest is 25. The youngest is 15. 15. Yes. The two olders are girls and the younger two are boys. And we have the 15-year-old, no, the 19-year-old. He's autistic, so So, that comes um, with its own baggage of different issues. So I'm sure the ladies would like to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, When did you first find out he was autistic? We began to think something was going on around one and a half. Uh, Well, actually before one. He wasn't speaking or pointing, some issues like that. And then different things just continued to progress. So by the time he was three, he had a full diagnosis. And how did, I mean, were you, uh, as some (laughs) of us, I I went through um, a serious sickness with my oldest son. Mm -hmm. And I remember there were times when I was actually angry. God, why are you doing this to me? Is this something that you have gone through also? It's like, I'm in the ministry. Why is this happening? Yes, but when... We first really felt the impact of it. My first emotion was anger, but it was I'm, I was angry at the devil for picking on me. Oh. <laughs> I, was, I was upset because I, I really felt like yeah. this is a straight out attack. You just gonna do this, you know, this close to my home inside yeah. my house? So I, yeah, I you was were supposed angry. to be protected, right? Yes. Yes, I, I was angry at him for intruding, but later we found out that it was for a greater purpose, Amen. and it wasn't, he may have been picking on me, he may have been, but God had another plan. Yes, he does. So, would you like to hear more? Yes. Thank you for All coming. Right. Thank you for having me. Well, ladies, yes, that story is going to unfold more as we um, get into this morning. But you know what? That, that worship, was that awesome? That was amazing. Thank you to the worship team. And let's pray one more time. So, Father, we come before you today. We thank you for allowing us to be here, Lord. We thank you for calling us to sit at your feet this morning when we do ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would not leave this place the same, but you would transform us, Lord. And we have already heard that the angels were singing, Lord, singing of your glory. May that be our testimony as well. So we ask that you would speak to our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was in junior high, I went to a Christian school. And in the Christian school, you have to take a Bible class. And prior to this time, reading the Bible wasn't something that I really did, although I grew up in a Christian home. 
I saw my dad read the Bible as he would prepare for, to teach a Sunday school lesson or something of that nature. I saw my aunt read the Bible, um, but it seemed like she was reading it for pleasure. And that just didn't make sense to me, why somebody would read this book for pleasure. And I thought, you know, growing up in the Baptist church, it was punishment. Because as the pastor read a passage from the Bible, then he would talk for 45 minutes to an hour. And then he'll say, I'm about to close and talk for another 20 minutes. And all the time you had to sit there quietly or get pinched. That was punishment. And so I related that all to the Bible. It's like when you read the Bible, now you got to sit and be quiet. or There's consequences. But when I was in junior high, I had an eye-opening experience. I had a Bible teacher. How many of you are teachers in here? Maybe not Bible, but you're a teacher of some sort. Okay, quite a few of you. I had a teacher, a Bible teacher, who made this book come alive. And it was absolutely amazing. From that point, I could look back and say, hmm, something happened. That Bible teacher taught me how these stories on the pages of this book are real. And that's what I want to show you today. Not only are these real, real people, real events, but they're applicable to your life. Because sometimes we can open this book, especially if you're not a believer and somebody just brought you here, because I'm sure that's what happened to at least a couple of you this morning. Somebody said, come to this women event with me. Come to this Christmas party. Come get free lunch. Okay? So I'm not taking it for granted that everybody here is a believer. But I know for a fact that God has something for you this morning, for each and every one of you. So as we look at this story, maybe you're like me. Maybe you like reading. You love a good story. You love drama, suspense, romance. Maybe some of you even like horror. There's some of that in here too. But (laughs) reading the Bible is no longer boring. It's no longer a punishment. Now, I'm going to keep it real with you. There are times when there's some points in here, it's like, Lord, this is kind of dry. you got to help me out. I'm about to fall asleep. So it happens like that sometimes. But even in those dry spots that I call dry spots, they're still applicable. And he still wants to teach us something through those. So today, Connie already read part of Luke chapter 2. But we're going to turn there this morning. And I want you to listen to this story as I read it to you. And as you're listening, just think about who are the people in this story? What time does this take place? What's really going on and why? And what am I to take away from this? Because when we come to our word, God, this is God's word. It's living. It's powerful. It will change our lives. And many of us have heard this Christmas story a million times, probably could paraphrase it, if not recite it word for word. But I want you to look with new eyes this morning. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. 
Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign for you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. And suddenly, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the sayings which were told to them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now, we know our theme for today is Gloria in Excelsis Deo, translated glory be to God in the highest. This word glory in the original language is doxa, meaning dignity, honor, worship, praise that is given to a deity. Looking at verse 14, we see a multitude of angels praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill to men. And in verse 20, we see the shepherds glorifying and praising God for all the things that they've heard and seen. Some of you may be sitting here this morning asking, why are these angels and shepherds praising and glorifying God? Or maybe you're thinking, that's what angels supposed to do. Well, I have news for you. That's what you're supposed to do too. And we're going to see that. This story, although you may have heard it a million times, I see three reasons why these angels and shepherds are glorifying and praising God. One, fulfillment of prophecy. 
we're going to take a look and we're going to see that prophecy was fulfilled over and over and over again through this. Maybe you say, you know what? I'm not that kind of geek. I don't get off on prophecy. It's okay because there's so much more. We're going to see reason number two, the great sacrifice of Christ that brought salvation to all people. That was another reason why they were glorifying God. And we'll see the sovereignty of God, how he went above and beyond through the impossible. And we will see that in our lives as well. So this story is not fictitious. This is a real story. It took place in history. You could look it up. All of you with those smartphones, you could Google. You can find Caesar Augustus was a real Roman emperor who believed that he was all-powerful. In him issuing a decree that required all the world to be registered, I thought about that, all the world. This world's kind of big for one man to issue a decree. But it was all the world as he knew it, speaking of the Roman world, which was still at that time the whole world. So this man had that kind of power. The decree went out in the form of a census during the time of Quirinius. You can look these people up. This is not something that's made up by man. So as a result of this real man, Caesar, wielding his power, all the earth went to be registered. We see that in verse 3. It says, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. That's amazing. For one man to put out a decree and everybody obeys. For them to have obeyed this, that means they had to stop their work. And back then, they didn't have time off paid, okay? They couldn't say, you know, government calls where I'm still going to get my paycheck rolling. No, work stopped. This was not a convenience thing for them. This power that Caesar Augustus wielded caused Joseph to prepare and pack for a journey, a journey that was not easy, a journey that was 60 plus miles that he didn't have a car to get into to just drive down the road an hour. That's not the way it worked. He had to pack provisions. That camel had to be prepared and watered and any other animals he took with him. And could you imagine going to your very pregnant wife as Joseph And telling her, we're going to take this journey. That I'm going to have to bump down this rocky road up this mountainous area, which was probably a two, three-day trek for them. That doesn't sound like that would have been a pleasant conversation. But because Caesar said so, this is what had to happen. They had to leave the comforts of home, family, and friends, well, I don't know about Mary having friends because she was shunned at this point, being unwed and pregnant. Not too many people were trying to be her bestie, right? So on top of a bad situation, it gets worse. Because as we read, while she was in Bethlehem, time came for her to be delivered. And there was no room in the inn. This was a first-time mom. There was no cool crib to put this baby in. Okay, baby was laid in the manger. And I thought it was interesting because I'm looking like, okay, first time mom, 
young girl, I know she had to be complaining, but there's no complaint recorded here. I thought that was amazing because, see, Pastor Bill would have got an earful. (laughs) He would have got an earful. So God knew what he was doing in choosing Mary and not choosing Mika. (laughs) Because I'm not quite sure how that would have worked out. So all of that, God was lining up things. So we look at this and we might think, man, this Caesar... This dude was crazy with all that power and making people just pause their life and put the world in motion a different way. But take a step back. And we know if, if you're those Bible geeks, some of y'all might be them. But in Micah chapter 5 verse 2, it was prophesied. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler of Israel, who's going forth from or of old from everlasting. So speaking of Jesus, that Jesus is to be born in Bethlehem. So how was God going to get married to Bethlehem? God used This unbelieving Roman emperor to move Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem so that his word could be fulfilled. So many times in our life, we look at our situations and we think, oh, man, this is bad. That happened and this happened and I lost my job and this person did this and then that happened. And we're looking at all these horrible situations. And all these things that we go through. But yet, God's looking at them and saying, I'm still in control. That may look as if it's bad to you. But look at my perspective. I'm moving things. I'm putting things in motion. So that my purpose can be fulfilled in your life. So... If we look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21, it says that many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So man can have plans to jack you up. You can have plans that you don't know of that jacks you up. But God has a greater purpose and his purpose will stand. So we don't have to fret. We don't have to be afraid. Challenges and situations may seem like they are out of God's control, but we can trust that he is moving. With my son, Billy, it was probably about maybe when he was in fifth grade or so, And um, Regional Center is a group set up by the state to help families affected by um, disability, so providing services. And so we were dealing with them for a service, and they denied him the service. But I felt as if he needed the service. So we went to hearing, and in the midst of, well, in the process of hearing, the regional center decided to change his caseworker. And 
they handpicked, I later found out, they handpicked this new social worker because she was the social worker who gave everybody hell. And she was handpicked for me. I found that out later. But you know what? Even in that, God worked. God worked because that lady who was handpicked for me became a very good advocate for my son. Not only that, but she taught me how to be a better advocate for my son. To the extent that I was on the advisory board for the client's right advocacy, which they teach you how to advocate for your son and to teach other parents how to advocate. And so I began to learn all of their rules, their language, because it was a whole different language. If you don't ask for it using these particular words, you don't get the service because they don't offer it. For example... You ask for swim lessons because your kid keeps running after all these ponds and lakes and all this stuff. They don't offer swim lessons. You ask for water safety. Oh, we have that. (laughs) So don't be dismayed when it looks like things are stacking up against you. Because God could be preparing your heart. Preparing you to be stronger for that next thing that you're about to go through. And in all of that preparation, you look back when it's all done and you say, wow, God's hand was preparing me. I see it now. We have to learn how to trust him when we don't see his hand. We have to trust him when we don't know what he's doing. But we know that he has our best interests at heart. We know that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, and there is no one who can overturn him. So don't be dismayed when it seems to be falling apart. Just continue walking with him. So why should we glorify God? Another reason. Because Christ came to die. He came as a sacrifice to offer salvation to all men. The angel spoke to the shepherds in the field saying, Fear not, for behold, I bring good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. This angelic proclamation would have been music to the shepherds' ears because, see, the shepherds, they were the outcast. They were the ones that were considered unclean. Think about David. When Samuel went to his house, they didn't even think enough to bring David in out of the field. For some of us in this room, we may be considered that outcast of our family. We may be considered that lowly one at the office. We may be the one that didn't graduate from high school, that was a teenage mom. We may be that one. But God said that he came for all people. Every nation, every tongue. He came for all, educated, uneducated. And what a privilege for the shepherds, for them to be the outcasts. And they're the first ones that heard the news of his birth, that this would be for all. God cared so much about those who were rejected. He cares so much about us. Salvation. 
that was for all men, not just the wealthy. Salvation through his son, Jesus, was and is for all people. So if you're feeling like you're excluded because of something that you've done, because of something in your past that wasn't your fault, but just continues to have a stronghold on you, know that Jesus came for you. He loves you so much. For this, the angels praised God, and they said, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill to men. They praised God because he sent his son Jesus for all. There is no limitation to what he can do. So though we may have many reasons to praise him, the great offer of salvation is more than enough. So if everything around you fall apart today, know that your salvation is enough to praise him. And as you praise him, you will see things change. So this celebration of the angels in verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, a multitude of heavenly hosts. When I read this and I said multitude, when else have I heard about a multitude? And I thought about when the multitude was following Jesus. And I was like, wow, that's a lot of people. So this must be a lot of angels. And I was like, well, Lord, is there another place in the Bible where the angels are praising you? And there's a multitude of them. And there is. In Revelations chapter 5, verse 11 and 12, it says, Many angels praising and glorifying God. Let's turn there just for one second. Revelations chapter 5, verse 11. Because this is so beautifully written as they describe these angels. It says, Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And I'm like, Okay, let me try to calculate that in my head. But it was a gang of angels. And so, and they're all praising the Lord. And I'm like, wow, that must have sounded beautiful. And one day, we're going to be singing with them. But even now, we have the awesome privilege to praise him and sing. Glory to God in the highest. He's so worthy of it all. So that's how these angels, or why these angels were praising him. Because Jesus came and he died, and that death was personal. Although he died for all, he died for you personally. And when you think about that, that should produce praise in your heart. That that glory goes to God. In Romans 10, 13, it says, All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no one outside of God's reach or situation that's too difficult for the salvation of Christ to penetrate. Let's not overlook God's amazing grace and power to allow us to come. He's a great God. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and he allows us to come, to come and praise him. So let's not squander the opportunity. 
No matter how tired we are when we come into worship, no matter how we're feeling, when, when worship songs come up here, when the worship team comes up here and starts singing, it's a privilege to join in. This is the church body. It's like God hears our voices and it just, I could imagine it just melts his heart. They're singing of my greatness. They're singing of glory to me. Not only did the shepherds listen to all that the angels said, but they believed it to the point of taking action. They could have just stayed out in the field watching their sheep, but they didn't do that. They went to see this thing that had come to pass, which the Lord had made known to them. Again, for them, this was an inconvenience because they can't just leave the sheep because the sheep were defenseless. And their life probably depended on some of those sheep. So they couldn't just leave the sheep. They had to make arrangements. And though it could have been more difficult, but they did it. They moved quickly, immediately, and they found the baby in the manger, wrapped in swaddling cloth, just as it was told them. Now, I know that they there was no room in the inn and that... This baby was wrapped in swaddling cloth. But it was more than just that. It was really a sign. It was a way of identifying. Because how many babies were laying in mangers? So they also had to go and search. They're in this town of Bethlehem. Do you think it's just one manger in the whole town? No. It took some work on their part. And... In Jeremiah, it tells us, Jeremiah 29, 13, it says, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Sometimes it may feel like God is not that close. But he promises us in his word that when we search with all of our heart, we will find him. And so it requires effort on our part. It may require you getting up early. Some of us like to get that last 30 minutes of sleep, hit the snooze button a couple times. But it requires something on your part to search for him. It may require giving up some of that Facebook time and Instagram time. It may require you pulling away from some friends. may require you to stop shopping so much. Don't know what it's going to require of you, but I do know that God expects for us to do it with our whole heart. And he promises to meet us. So I just think about how long did it take those shepherds to find him? Because, see, they wouldn't like the wise men either when they were going to look for Jesus. They didn't have a star. They didn't. They, they knew from prophecy where he was going to be born, and they knew he'd be wrapped in swaddling cloth and in a manger. I'm sure there were some other babies born. How many babies are born each day, each hour? Hmm, something to think about. There's more than one, I'm sure, and I'm sure there was more than one here. So Jesus may, seeing Jesus may take you away from some of the comforts of your daily routine. Are you willing to give those up to seek Jesus, to find him? Reading your Bible is going to be essential, ladies. This is God's word. 
Many of us want to find God as we're being busy doing other things. But he's saying, come away. Come away. I have some things to tell you. And we just need to slow down enough to hear him. So while we're waiting on the Lord, while we're searching for the Lord, while we're in our Bible, while we're praying, we could also be praising him for who he is. Because we can get our eyes so set on the things going around on around us that do not look like they're working out for our good. But as we praise him for who he is, give him glory for what he has done in our lives, we begin to see he is here. He is moving. He is working. He has done many things in my life. And as he has done those, he's the same yesterday, today, forevermore. He continues to work on my behalf. The Bible tells us in Isaiah that we were made for his glory. As believers, we are uniquely positioned to bring him glory. Matthew 5, 16 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. You were made to bring God glory. It's not something that you have to try to work up and create. Just as you think of his goodness, as you share the things that he's done in your life, you're bringing him glory. Because, see, there are some people who need to hear about him. These angels, that the angel that came to these shepherds, that did something for their faith. That moved them into action. And for many of us, as we share the goodness of God in our lives, as we tell someone what God has done, that will move them into action. That will stir up their faith. They'll say, you know what? You used to be like that? Really? God changed you? Then he can definitely do that for me. (laughs) So we need to be real with other women. We need to let them know the great things that our God has done. We need to live in such a way that people see our good works and they give glory to God. Glory does not belong to us. It belongs to God. We are weak, empty, foolish, and useless without God. So we can think we have it all together, but it is only by the grace of God. Some of us could look back and say, oh, I remember what I used to be. And some of us don't have to look that far because that was just last month. Okay? So, you know, some of us may have forgotten because it was 10 years ago. But God, if once he gets a hold of your life, it changes. He does a work in your life that makes you never the same. And so as we share, ladies, with one another, as we share with coworkers, with neighbors, with people in the grocery store, and whoever else God allows to cross your path, Give God the glory. Give him the glory. When they say, oh, you are so nice. You brought, you know, this gift or you, you know, thank you for the coffee or, you know, they give you all these accolades and it's like, oh, God, God put you on my heart this morning. 
Turn it back to him so that they know that God loves them, that God thought about them this morning. Don't make it all about yourself. Because, see, whatever glory they give you, that's all you get, and God has no other rewards for you. But when we give glory to God, that just continues and continues. Because you tell somebody some crazy story about what God did for you, then they, they're going home or on their way home because they didn't even make it home. They, they made that phone call in the car and said, girl, let me tell you what this lady at work told me happened. She said that God did such and such and such. What did that lady just do? She passed on that glory that you passed to her, and now it just keeps going. God gets the glory. So when the angels <clears throat> said glory to God in the highest, I like that they added that. Because, see, this glory could be another deity. But they wanted to make sure that we understood glory to God in the highest. That God, that's only one God. He cannot be mistaken. Because, see, this here book, the book of Luke, was written to Theophilus. Theophilus was a Gentile. And he was a political leader. He probably didn't care about prophecy. Many of you don't care about prophecy in this room. Because you don't fully understand it or understand the impact of it. And you know what? That's why Luke said, you know what? I'm not going to do a heavily um, prophetic type of thing here. I'm going to leave that for Matthew or John or one of those dudes. But what he did is he showed the sovereignty of God and how God orchestrated these events to bring about his purpose. And when I think about that and all the things that God lined up in my life, and I think back to playing school on the front porch of my father's house and being, this is summer, summertime, school's out, me and my little friends, elementary school, maybe third, fourth grade, playing school. And we, the teacher let us take home all the pages in the book that you didn't finish. So we're playing school, and I love being the teacher. Little did I know, talking about God preparing you, I didn't know that I was going to be a teacher. So by the time I graduated from high school, the only thing I wanted to be was a teacher. So it came time to choosing to choose which college I wanted to go to. And I'm looking at all these different colleges, and I'm like, where's the bachelor's degree in education? And it seemed like it was not out there. So I was like, okay, Lord, I'm going to have to choose to study something else for four years that I'm not even interested in. So I chose psychology. So chose psychology, but still I knew I was going to be a teacher, so I still um, went to the teacher's education program, Little did I know, I thought that was it. I thought, Lord, that's all you, you know, you got teaching and I'm content and that's what I'll do, you know, until, I guess until I die and go home, you know, because I just didn't think it was anything else because I thought that was just the the whole of it and I would have been perfectly happy. And then he began to stir my heart and he said, eh, you should train teachers. That's what I have for you. I don't have you just being in the classroom. So I went and got my administrative credential and became a curriculum coordinator and administrator in other positions. And it was like, okay, Lord, this, this is cool. This is cool. And then 
I had kids. <laughs> then I had kids, and God was saying, well, at first I wasn't listening. But he was saying, I want you to come home and homeschool your kids. And I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? You sent me to school for five years plus to homeschool? That didn't make sense to me. I fought it for a while. And then I did it, and it was the most rewarding thing. And it was like, oh, thank you, Lord. You know best. And then Billy came along. My son was special needs. And he was in school for a while. And it was great. In fact, I had three months with all my kids in school. Beautiful. And then God said, bring them home. You're the homeschool Billy. And I'm like, Lord, no. I fought him for about three months. So it was another three months that I fought him on that. And then um, we brought him home. And I'm like, Lord, why do I fight you when I know your way is best? And even now I look back at some of the challenges and some of the victories. And I ask God, I'm like, okay, what, what do you have in this? What am I supposed to learn from this? Because through all of this, we're supposed to learn something. He doesn't do these things just to do them. They all have a purpose. And I, I look at Billy sometime, and I'm like, okay, Lord, why couldn't he go to school? Why couldn't he stay in school? And he's still at school age. And God said, I'm, I have my hand on him. I'm doing something in his life that can't be accomplished there. And I just think about there's so many. He's an imitator. He'll, he'll imitate movies, he'll repeat things that he hears, and he uses them so appropriately. And so it's like, okay, Lord, that's why you didn't want us to have to spank this kid all the time, so you allowed him to be homeschooled so he wouldn't be saying some of those things, you know? Um, But I know there's a greater purpose, and oftentimes I see him and how sensitive he is to people and their emotions and their feelings, and he'll just go up and pray for people, and especially if, if they're crying, he'll go and pray for them and they just melt. Or he'll go up and give someone a hug that they didn't even think that he noticed them. And they'll tell me, oh, your son just made my day. And I'm like, well, glory to God. God used him to touch this person or that person. Through my son, Billy, there have been many young ladies who have came in the home to um, do the therapy that he does. um, And other families that we've had the opportunity to minister to that we never would have met had it not been for him. Before having an autistic son, I didn't have the same sensitivity that I now have for parents and other people with a disability. So I could have seen this as all bad because it did change our lives. You know, there, there's a different level of supervision. There's a different level of um, just looking out for this kid overall. 
dealing with these government agencies and such that it's just like, Lord, why do I have to do this? I tell you, I try to keep it to a memo. I only want to talk to those people. I don't even want to talk to them. Let me me not say that. Let me change this. (laughs) Most of these agencies you have to deal with for an annual meeting. And if I could go without the annual meeting, I would. If God would just rain down riches that would allow me to do everything that these services do for my son and I don't have to deal with them, that would be my choice. But God has left me in the position of needing them. And God is leaving you in the position that is sometimes very uncomfortable. Maybe you have a boss. Maybe you have a health condition. Maybe you have something going on in your life right now that's not comfortable, that you prefer not to deal with. But he says, even that thing, I'm going to get the glory from. I am using you in that position. I am not going to move you. I'm going to give you the strength to endure. And through it all, you will give me the glory. So may we look at it from God's perspective. Join in with the angels and shepherds and our sisters and our brothers when we come into the house of the Lord and sing to him, glory to God in the highest. May we rejoice in that he does bring peace to all men, that salvation is a gift that is offered to all. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to pay for it. We don't deserve it. He offers it freely. And so I know that there's going to be an opportunity this morning, if you're in this room and you do not yet know God, You know his name, but you don't have a personal relationship with him. There's going to be an opportunity for you to come to know him in that way this morning. He wants you to be able to say glory to God. He wants you to be able to tell other people about his goodness. Because, see, he created you for his glory. Ladies, let's not squander the opportunity to bring glory to our great God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of all, that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross, Lord, that we may be saved. We thank you that you created us to bring you glory and that although this life gets difficult sometimes and situations happen that we don't understand, that we can trust you because you are faithful that you love each and every one of us, regardless of our position in society, Lord. You love us beyond our wildest imagination. And we thank you for your word, Lord, that speaks so clearly to us, Heavenly Father, that you didn't use fictitious people, but you used real men and women, Lord. Even the angels, Lord, you used for your glory so that we could know you. We thank you that you spoke things, Lord, even before they happened. As you said in your word, that you spoke these things before they happened so that when they happened, we would know that you are God. And so we thank you this morning for being who you say you are. We thank you that you are a God we can depend on. And we ask that as we leave this place, Lord, Even as we are here, 
that we would speak of your great love for us. We would speak of your glory, Heavenly Father, that through our lives, you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.